Let me remind you that we need you, those of you who are on the live stream, let me remind you that we need you to send a text message or hit the chat button and tell us how many of you are watching at this point. Well, we've had technical difficulties this morning. That's the bad news. The good news is I'm getting into the pulpit seven minutes early. You think you're going to get to go to lunch early. The bad news is I've got a 55-minute sermon I need to preach this morning because I'm trying to cover four chapters of the book of Ruth. Now, we're going to hit the high points in the book, but I will tell you that there is a series coming. It may be a year away, but there is a series coming where we'll spend at least a month on the book of Ruth. But today I'll try to hit the high points. We are in a series entitled Shady Ladies in the Lineage of Jesus. Somebody said, where in the world did you get that title? Well, I had in mind the concept, but the shady ladies, Teresa, I read somewhere, and it just struck a note with me. Uh, we could talk about uh, ladies with a dubious reputation. I think somewhere, Jonathan, somewhere along the way I had an idea of ladies with dubious reputation. I don't know, shady ladies just sounds cooler to me. Those shady ladies, three of the four, to, we, we spoke about Tamar. This is Matthew chapter 1, the lineage of Jesus Christ our Savior. Now, you understand that in genealogy, especially in the Jewish nation, especially in the Old Testament, that was a list of men who bore sons, the son of, the son of, the son of. And that is how it begins in the Gospel of Matthew. But uh, somewhere along the way, uh, the Holy Spirit inspired Matthew to include women in that genealogy. We talked about Talmar, we talked about Rahab, we are speaking to today about Ruth, and somewhere along the way, we will talk about Bathsheba. Uh, Andrea, I'm sorry, but I need you to turn the monitors up. So, looking at Ruth, we go to the book of Ruth, um, and we read about Ruth understanding that she, you know, every one of those have something about them that makes them unusual, Several of those are foreigners. Uh, Tamar was a foreigner. Rahab was a foreigner. Ruth was a foreigner, which is very unusual for the genealogy of a Jewish king, David, and the king of kings, Jesus Christ. But the story of Ruth is a story of redemption. In the book, I want you to, first of all, we're going to focus on Naomi's remorse. The story begins, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. Now, you talk about hard times, and we are living in challenging days. Uh, we are living in interesting times. <clears throat> Actually, if you pay attention to the video by Matthew West in the beginning, uh, it's not just interesting times, it can be very boring times. I mean, the news is the same every day. Our scenery is the same every day. Our routine 
becomes too much the same every day. But we're not going hungry. And in fact, praise God, the impact on the coronavirus and our congregation has been very small. You know our friend and you know him by name that we need to be praying about. I have not said a prayer yet for any reason without mentioning his name. And I hope you're doing the same. But when you read in the Bible about a famine, you're talking about a desperate time and a part of her remorse, a part of her grieving was because of the famine. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn, that means live temporarily, in the country of Moab. Now Moab was a country nearby, a mountainous land, but a high tableland, which was good for grazing of sheep and of cattle. He and his wife and his two sons, the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi. So there, it was a time of famine, a time of hardship. Of hardship. Then it continues, but Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. If it's not bad enough that they're enduring hunger, they're in a time of famine, the husband died. Turn me up just a little bit more on the monitor, not on the house, on the monitor, please. Um, and she was left with her two sons. These two sons took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpha, and the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about ten years. Get this. And both Malon and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Famine. Death. Grief, bereavement, these are indeed hard times. So much so that in chapter 1, verse 13, Naomi says about her own feelings and about herself, it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake. She's speaking to Orpha and Ruth, the daughters-in-law, and said, I'm bitter. I am bitter. By the way, uh, if you read in chapter 2, when they return to the land, she says, do not call me Naomi any longer. Instead, call me Mara, which means bitter, because my life is bitter. You see, because of the famine, because of the grief that she was suffering, she felt that God had abandoned her. Now, that was not the case. God had not abandoned her, but that's the way she felt about it. And I just want to warn you, when bad things happen and when you're going through difficult times, do not conclude from that, do not presume that God has turned against you. He has not. Now, He has allowed those things to happen to you because he knows the end from the beginning. He knows what's good for us. He knows that he can take us through those things. You do understand that God sometimes does punish a nation. I remember a time in the history uh, when, during when the time David was king that there was a famine and they began to ask God, what's the reason for this and what do we do about it? 
and it goes back to him all the way to the time when Saul was king, and he had crossed the boundaries and had tried to wipe out a nation of people living in the land that they were not supposed to wipe out, and God brought a famine because of that. But please do not think that every time it's a famine that it is the punishment of God. One of the worst mistakes we can ever make is try to figure out why God does things. Do not presume that bad things are happening to you because God is punishing you. And listen to me, wake up now if you've gone to sleep already. You need to hear this. If God is punishing you for something, you will know it. God always makes clear our sin by the conviction of His Holy Spirit. And if He's punishing you, you will know that it's punishment. If you tell me I'm suffering and I have no idea what I've done, it's not punishment. God does not do things that way. He reveals in the Old Testament. He re revealed it by His prophets. And in our day, He reveals through our spirits responding to the Holy Spirit that bad things are happening to us because we've gotten away from God, because we've done something wrong. Never presume, when you don't know why something bad is happening, don't presume that it's punishment if you don't know that it's punishment. More than that, do not ever say to someone else, something bad is happening to you, therefore God is punishing you. I'm sorry, but that's idiocy. You say, Brother Lynn, that's pretty strong. It's idiocy. Are you God? Do you know the heart and the mind of God? Did He seek counsel from you before He did this? Never presume upon somebody else their guilt because bad things are happening to them. You don't know. And that is very hurtful to someone. And so we see Naomi's remorse. Also from that, though, the next part of the story, the second half of chapter 1, I want us to think about Ruth's resolve. Ruth's resolve. You see, it says, They lifted up her voices and wept again. Orpha kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Now understand, in the previous verses, there are too many verses for me to read the whole book, okay? So I'm going to have to hit the high points. Ruth has said to both of the daughters-in-law, go back, I have no more sons. If I got married and four sons, you'd be too old to marry by the time they got old enough to wed. Go home, go back to your families, and by the way, she said, and go back to your gods. That's a strange statement. Orpha went back, but Ruth clung to her and refused to let her go. She said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people, here it is, and to her gods, return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth, with great resolve, I might add, said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. I want you to think about this. Now, what I'm about to read to you is some of the most beautiful poetry on friendship, on marriage, on relationship 
that you will ever read. But understand that this is based on friendship. If you have a study guide and you're looking at that first F under the resolve, it's friendship. It was a friendship relationship. Ruth loved Naomi. That speaks well of Naomi as a mother-in-law. Have you thought about that? And I think one of the reasons, I'm not saying that every mother-in-law is controlling and strong-willed. I dare not say that. My mother-in-law might be watching today. I doubt it. But nevertheless, if you are a mother-in-law, I understand that no woman besides you is good enough for your son. I didn't get a single amen. That's just, that, 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 that's just wrong. You know you thought it in your head. It just didn't make it to your mouth. It, for every mother present, and you've got a son-in-law, no man is good enough for your daughter. No woman is good enough for your son. If you're a mother-in-law, take Naomi as an example. Mike, she said, Go home. I'm not going to hold on to you. I'm not going to control you. I give you freedom. And listen, every mother-in-law needs to give her son-in-law or her daughter-in-law. We need to give our kids freedom to make their own decisions and not be overbearing and controlling. Somebody, somewhere, say amen. There was a friendship relationship there. Naomi created a relationship with Ruth that would never end. And Ruth was a friend. Ruth loved Naomi. Not only that, but the second F in your notes if you're looking at it. And for those of you watching online, you can download these notes and go through just like the people here going through the worship guide. You can do the same. And if you don't have a worship guide, send one of the kids and pick one up. The second F in that is faith. Because she said, and, and I love this, where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. Brenda and I had that sung at our wedding. Now, Shelly, she had no idea what she was getting into when she said, Where you go, I will go. I, I should have counted this morning how many different places in the world we've set up housekeeping through the years. I, I think it's somewhere between six and ten different countries that we've actually set up housekeeping and lived in a, in a temporary way. And one of those was for a dozen years in Kenya, East Africa. And we've laughed a lot of times that at our wedding we had someone sing, Whither thou goest, I will go. Wherever you go, I'll go. But notice that she said, And your God will be my God. Something in the life of Naomi so touched Ruth that she was converted from her pagan idolatry to worship Yahweh, Jehovah, the Lord. 
And she expressed an acceptance of the God of Israel as her God. Ruth's commitment was based on friendship. Listen to me, everyone needs a friend. Everyone needs a friend who will be a friend even when you're going through hard times. In fact, if they're not with you, if they do not stay with you when you're going through hard times, they're really not a friend. A friendship is always a two-way relationship. You see, Naomi gave freedom to Ruth to make her own decisions. Ruth responded with friendship. It was a two-way relationship. One blessed the other. And that's something, if you read the book of Ruth carefully, remember I said that and check me out. It was a two-way relationship. Friendship must always be a two-way relationship. You see, if it's a one-way relationship, and this is what I have to teach preachers and missionaries, pastors, you have a, a lot of one-way relationships where someone is ministering to you. Those are your ministers. There are other situations where you're ministering to someone else. That is your ministry. But it is only a friendship if it is a two-way relationship. Keep that in mind. Listen, everybody needs a friend, and a real friend will be a friend not only when things are going bad, badly for you, but even when you're wrong. Everybody needs a friend who will be a friend even when you're wrong. I've already said, friendship with Naomi led Ruth to faith in God. How are you impacting the people you call friends? Will the impact of your relationship be such that it brings them to faith in the one you call your God? Friendship needs to result and build faith in God. By the way, I have to say this, it's not in my notes, I will not charge extra. Aaron, Aaron didn't do it, it's not his fault. The technology gives me a chance to throw in something else. There are people who are bad for you. They call themselves friends, but they are toxic, and the truth is they bring you down. He is no friend who destroys your faith in God. He is no friend who tells you to turn away from your church Turn away from your God and quit walking after Jesus as Savior. That is a toxic person and dangerous for you. He is, she is, no friend. I want you to notice then the entire rest of the book is the story of Ruth's redemption by Boaz. That's really what this book is all about. It's the story of Ruth's redemption. Redemption. So here's my sermon within a sermon. There's about five of these. Um, first of all, in scene one of this great story, we see the provision of God. It's played out in the gleaning for the destitute. This is the Levitical law, the law of the Old Testament. You see the law in both Leviticus and Deuteronomy says that 
when you're harvesting a field, that if, if you're making the shocks of wheat where you, and something falls out, you're not allowed to bend over and pick it up and put it back in the shock of wheat. You leave it lying on the ground so that the poor and the destitute, Jerry, can come along and pick it up. That was God's plan for providing for the poor. If you're harvesting your grapes, if you're ha harvesting your olive trees, you don't go over them a second time, Charlotte. You, you leave, if you've missed something, you leave that, and so the poor and the destitute can come along, and they can pick up those things. It's, listen, it's hard work, but it's a way for the destitute and the poor to be able to be filled. That's what Ruth did when, when Naomi and Ruth got back to the land. I said it was a two-way relationship. They were a blessing and a help to each other. Ruth was the one who went out to the fields and gleaned, that's what it's calling, gleaning among the ears of grain. She went out and gleaned the fields. You see, God's provision in the Old Testament for the destitute involved generosity from the wealthy. They were to leave behind the extra. And after all, they did not need it. And by the way, there's some providence of God in this. Uh, a Jew who dropped something during that time would not be selfish about it. He would say, that was the Lord. The Lord has somebody that needs that. Would to God that we would have that generosity of attitude? This is of the Lord that something happened. Um, I, you know, I don't want my air conditioner to fail, especially now that we're going into that season. But if it does, it would help me to realize that the guy who works on my air conditioner needs the work, and that's God's way of providing for it. Instead of kicking the ground and cursing because... The air conditioner broke. Think about the guy who needs the work. Maybe that's God's way of providing. That is, in fact, the attitude of the law that you are generous in leaving those things behind. And it involved hard work for the poor. It's not that there was a system of redistribution of wealth. That long pause is on purpose. I haven't forgotten what I'm saying, going to say next. I just need you to hear that. There was not a system of redistribution of wealth. And it was not that somebody else gathered the leftover wheat, olives, or grapes and delivered it to the poor. The poor had to go out and work for it. You say, well, that's not fair. Tell God. He created the system. You think you know better than God? You think that our current welfare system is better than the system God created? I think not. Even in the New Testament it says, He that, shall, that will not work shall not eat. I guarantee you, if you're not, if you're so lazy you won't go out and pick up the leftovers, in the Old Testament, you would have starved. 
Now, please understand that I'm not talking about during our time of COVID where people are not allowed to go to work. And if you've paid unemployment insurance, you deserve to receive the payment. I do have a problem with those who would rather draw unemployment than go back to work. There's something unhealthy and something wrong with that. In the biblical economy, the generosity of the wealthy was a part of the system. If that means you and if that means me, we need to be generous. But it also involved hard work for those who needed to eat. That is God's provision. I want you to notice not only God's provision, but the providence of God. That is, He sent Ruth to the right field. Now she could have gone and may have gone to various fields, but on the first day she ended up, she, sent out, she went out and gleaned in the field after the reapers. You understand what's going on. They're reaping the wheat. Mike, she's coming along behind the melody. She's picking up what has been left, what they dropped. And they invariably drop some. She happened to. That's biblical language for in the plan and the providence of God. To the part of the field belonging to Boaz, and don't miss this, who was of the clan of Elimelech, a close relative to her father-in-law and her dead husband. In the providence of God, she went to the right field. Even later in the verses, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. i got to stop here. You remember the conclusion I came to? Be careful in coming to the conclusion that God has forsaken you when you're going through hard times. And she said, Sue, she said, don't, don't call me Naomi any longer. Call me Mara because my life is bitter. The Lord has turned His hand against me. Now she changes her tune. Now she understands. The Lord has not forsaken you, friend, just because you're going through hard times, God has not forsaken you. Naomi said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. You see, this sets up the whole story. There in chapter 1, all this history leads us to the point that they're back in the land, and God by His providence has led Ruth to, the, to one of the men who can redeem them under the law of the kinsman redeemer. I'll explain more about that in a minute if I remember. Do not allow disappointment and despair to blind you to the fact that God is still working in your life. Instead, recognize the providence of God. My staff will tell you that your pastor has struggled through this time. My wife will tell you very clearly that your pastor has struggled through this time. This has been hard on me. I love this church, and I saw the momentum we had building, and I, I just feel like the devil has stepped in 
And yet God has not left us, friends. God is still working and convicting. When we get back together, we got folks to baptize. We've got ministry to carry on. We have things to do. We need to recognize that God's hand is still on us and God is still with us. I want you to notice not just the provision of God and the providence of God. I want you to notice the protection of Boaz. That is that he was welcoming to her and generous with her. When they came to the fields, she's gleaning in the fields, and he asked, Who is this young woman? By the way, pay attention. Who is this young woman? Now, he's not being generous. That's the truth. And there is a key in this book that most people overlook. And I'll just go ahead and tell you the secret. Boaz is an older man. He is old enough to be her father. And she is a young woman, but he sees and knows of her. He sees her working. He knows of her reputation, of her, of her uh, loyalty and faith toward Naomi. And so he says to her, now listen, my daughter. Get that? That's important. That's not just flattering speech. It is the case of, the, it's an indication of their age. Listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep, keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Notice how kind he is to her and how generous he is with her. That is the plan of God. But it's also an indication of the character of Boaz. Because everything that's said about him, he's, an, he's just a nice guy. He comes to the field, and instead of coming in raging and ranting about, at the workers because they've been dropping too much grain, are, are complaining about this or complaining about that, he comes in with a happy greeting. I hate it when I meet somebody that knows me and they act like they don't know me and won't even say hello. It's killing me that, I mean, we're a hugging church. Can I get an amen? We are a hugging church, and one of the devastating parts of that is I'm not allowed to hug you right now. Now, Kim Elliott's not here this week, but last Sunday she came in and was just dying for hugs. And let me think about that. Uh, Kelly Howard hugged her, and then she came, and I hugged her. Okay, I confess. Put the chains on, arrest me. She was dying for a hug, and I gave her a hug. We're a hugging church! And this is hard. Boaz was just a nice guy. He was nice to his workers he was generous with them, and he was kind to Ruth, this foreigner, this stranger, and he was generous with her. Listen to me. How we treat those less fortunate than we defines our character and either demonstrates or denies our faith in God. 
How many of you have been to a drive-in restaurant over the period of this time? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands of how many of you tipped the normal amount. But may I encourage you to do so? Because those people are hurting. Workers are hurting. Small businesses are hurting. When, when businesses open up, let's go to the small business, the family-run shops, and let's help them. Let's be generous. And I know that this time is hard on us. But be nice. Just be kind. Be nice to people around you. He was a nice guy. But I want you to notice one of the strange parts of the book, and that is the proposal by Ruth in offering herself for marriage. Now, Naomi had a bold plan. And this is why people, the fact that she was a foreigner, and because of this one scene uh, in the story, this scene causes some people to think, to think that she was of ill repute that she's a shady lady. And I said to you about Tamar, said to you about uh, Rahab, you have to understand this story in the light of the culture in which it was written. Benjamin, it, this was culturally appropriate in that day. Might be a little strange today, but what Naomi said was, Betty said, put on, dress up, take a bath. That's, a good, that's always good advice. Some of you have been staying home too long without a bath. Take a bath. Change clothes. Put on some perfume. But that's what she said. Take a bath. Oil your body. Put on perfume. Put on a nice dress. Listen, I heard years ago, and it's been a part of my marriage counseling for years, even a barn looks better painted put on makeup you say nobody's going to see me but my husband put on makeup <laughs> let me say this and you you get this men are visually oriented you say well i don't have to put on makeup for him he loves me just the way i put on makeup You'll pay for that. I'll, I'm going to brag on Brenda. For years, for years, no matter where we were, no matter where we were staying, how far in the country or how desperate the situation, Brenda dresses to please me and she fixes her hair and puts on makeup. She's taken a lot of kidding because we were living in a bamboo hut with a grass roof in an island in the South Pacific with no electricity and, and no transportation, and she had a butane curling iron. If I'm lying, I'm dying. She had a butane curling iron, and she fixed her hair for me. And I always know that when she does that, she's dressing to please me. Ladies, when you dress nicely, you not only please your husband, but you make him proud of you. So that when someone else sees you and you're 
dolled up. You, you're made up. That casts a good reflection on him. And so, yes, that was a part of the sermon that I planned on saying. That's not extra. But Naomi's plan was get dressed up. Go to the gleaning field and in the evening after he has had a bit to drink. Yeah, that's in the Bible. When he's had a bit to drink and he's happy and sleepy, when he goes to sleep, lay down at his feet. And she did that. Now that sounds a little strange, but that is cultural. When he woke up, she said, You are a kinsman redeemer. Cover me with your blanket. She's offering herself to him as a wife. And it might even be that she is offering to be his slave because that would have been a part of the culture, his concubine. That would have been a part of the culture in that day. Boaz, on the other hand, did not want to take her as a slave but as a wife. And for those who think she was a shady lady, you need to... You need to pay attention to what Boaz said about her. May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after, get this, young men. You get the point? Whether poor or rich, and now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know. Get this. Underline this. Circle this in your Bible if you write in your Bible. You're a worthy woman. You're a worthy woman. Listen. Girls, not yet involved with a man, not engaged thinking, praying about a man. It's better to have a husband that's kind and generous than one who is not. And it's a lot more important to find one who, than finding one who is, that's supposed to be than, finding one who is young, rich, and handsome. Which is better? Young, rich, and handsome are kind and generous. I think every woman in here would say, I want my husband to be kind to me and to others. And I want my husband to be generous. She came under his protection. Then notice the, the purchase of Ruth by Boaz. Now, if you rant against that and say that's just not right, there are still some cultures today where the husband pays a bride price for his wife. And Rodney, the rest of us are just paying for, their, for the rest of our lives. I did get an amen for that. We're talking, though, about the redemption by the kinsman redeemer. That is in chapters 4, 1 through 10. Now, I don't, I'm not going to read those ten verses to you, but let me just narrate the story. 
Boaz has already said, I'll take care of this. Ruth went back to Naomi, and Naomi said, he won't sleep until he takes care of this. Sure enough, early the next morning, he's in town. And there's one guy in the lineage of, of, of the clan, one guy who's closer than Boaz in kinship. So with a great plan, he goes to him and meets him among the elders so there are witnesses. And he tells him, I'm interested, but you're closer. In redeeming the property of the dead son of Elimelech. And the guy says, oh, that'd be great. I'll do that. There, there is a plan in this. If you read that, notice he didn't mention Ruth. He left that out. Until the guy says, I will do that. He said, great. And when you do, you're also purchasing Ruth so that you can raise up, you can be married to her and raise up children to her dead husband. That's a part of the law. And if you struggle with this, I'm going to tell you anyway. When the guy said, I can't do that, it will endanger my estate. Jonathan, what he's saying is, I don't think my wife and children would understand. Now see, we don't understand polygamy. I lived with it in Africa for a dozen years. I don't say that I promote it. By the, you know why? You know, Mark Twain spoke about polygamy and said it was wrong. He said it's in the Bible. He says, no man can serve two masters. But in the Old Testament, they had multiple wives. And Charlotte, what he's saying is, I don't think my wife would understand that. I guarantee you, my wife would not understand that. But Boaz has done this on purpose. And so they make an agreement, a, a contract under the culture of that day, so that Boaz redeems the property and buys Ruth as his wife. The book of Ruth is a beautiful picture of kinsman redemption. You need to understand, it is a picture of what Jesus has done for us. He became like us in flesh and blood so that He could, as a kinsman redeemer, redeem us. He died as a kinsman redeemer so that He could pay the redemption price he could pay the price for our sins. I don't think it's in your notes, but there is a conclusion to this story that you need to know about, and that is the progeny of Boaz and Ruth. That means their descendants, their lineage. It is the lineage of King David. The women of the neighborhood, they had a, they had a child, they had a son, and the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. Now, wait a minute. Ruth had the child. But they're saying, this is God's gift to the one who thought that God was through with her, to the one who thought that God was mean to her. He gave a gift of a child. 
they named him Obed, and he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Think about all that Ruth went through, and yet God had a special plan for her. Listen to me, don't give up on God. Don't give up on God. He has not given up on you. You know, I, I realize I have no idea where everyone is in the congregation this morning in your spiritual walk. I'm just saying don't give up. Things may be tough right now, but don't give up on God. He hasn't given up on you. There may be somebody watching the live stream or even catching this video months from now. I don't know. Maybe you felt drawn to Jesus but you've not yet placed your faith and trust in Him. At this point, God has not given up on you, and you still can come to faith in Jesus Christ. Don't give up on God. He hasn't given up on you. He can give you a future and a hope, and He can give you a lasting legacy a legacy, a royal legacy, legacy, a legacy of faith. Don't give up on God. Instead, give Him your life and give Him your soul. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for the story of Ruth, the story of redemption. Lord, of Your providential work in her life, that we can recognize how you're working in our lives. Lord, I praise you for the sacrifice of our kinsman, Redeemer, Jesus Christ. And I pray for encouragement for those who are in despair, for those who are disappointed, for those who would interpret this to mean we're being punished. Lord, help them right now looking at the story of Naomi and of Ruth, of Boaz, to recognize your kindness, your generosity, your protection, your providence, and your redemption. Lord, may we trust in you and give you our lives and give you our souls. In Jesus' name, amen.